Guys, good Tuesday morning. Thank you kindly for joining us on the Jerry and Jerry Show. My name is Jerry Miller. It's great to connect with you here in downtown Charlottesville, Virginia, about a mile from the grounds of Thomas Jefferson and the University of Virginia, the John Paul Jones Arena, and Scott Stadium. The star of the show is Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe. He's got 40-plus years on the UVA sports beat, the Atlantic Coast Conference beat. He's an award-winning writer, a multi-time Virginia um, Writer of the Year Award winner. He's a Virginia Sports Hall of Famer. And one of my favorite things about this show is getting inside Hootie's head. We did it last week with his travels around the globe. This week we're going to do it with basketball arenas and some of the toughest home court advantages in the country. Renee Pettifor, we're going to get to your comments here in a matter of moments. We love when you watch the program. we got folks in six states as of right now watching the show. Judah Wickhauer, if you can go to the studio camera and then the two-shot, and let's welcome a legend, Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe. Toughest question I think I may have asked you in the history of the Jerry and Jerry show <laughs> is how many arenas have you been to in your career? Wow. Uh, at some point, I'm going to have to sit down and, and try to add those up, and I'll, <clears throat> that's, that's going to be a task in itself. I, I made a, a half-hearted attempt a few years ago when Bob Ryan of the Boston Globe, somebody asked him, and he went back and counted, and it was an unbelievable amount, but um, that sparked a bunch of writers doing it, and I started, but I never uh, even got halfway through. There was, there's just been so many scattered all over the country and and as we said right before the program started i covered some schools from various conferences um back and earlier in my career and so i probably hit a few places that that a lot of writers probably bypassed somewhere along the way um toughest home court advantage in the nation is a more pointed question, maybe one that's easier to answer than how many arenas you've been to. Hootie, there are a lot of tough home court advantages. Cameron comes immediately to mind, but Cameron may be the easy one because they're constantly on ESPN and on national TV. You've been to so many. What would be the short list before we get ACC and maybe maybe the conference is the toughest arena is from the ACC, but what's the short list of the toughest in the country? I think probably um, Kansas... And Kentucky, um, also at Duke, Cameron, <clears throat> which uh, is tough. I don't think it's as, quite as tough as it used to be, but it, I think it's still a really difficult place to go in and win a basketball game. Um, it used to be almost impossible to, to win there. Uh, and part of it was it's, it's such a, a small arena compared to today's mega arenas seats uh 10,000 or less and they're all packed in and they're on top of you the student yeah the i mean the students for for that's why john feinstein doesn't even go there anymore and it's his alma mater because he doesn't like having the students knees in his back on press row and the spittle getting into your hair from them screaming at the referees and other team are i mean they're they're this close to you i mean it it's unbelievable. Um, those, those are three of the toughest places around for sure. But uh, I've, I've been to a bunch, and uh, some of the some of the toughest ones, uh, other than those, are uh, Michigan State, very tough place. Uh, Maryland, believe it or not, uh, I know Virginia fans are not fans of Maryland, but uh, it's a tough place to play. Tennessee. Uh, Arkansas, Yukon, Purdue are some of the ones that uh, popped up in my mind um, in the in the ACC um, outside of Duke. Uh, Virginia Tech has become a very tough place to play. Uh, very vocal crowd. Uh, NC State, uh, North Carolina didn't used to be, but they've become a, a tougher place to play now that. Uh, They've let their hair down a little bit down there. But um, Carmichael used to be even tougher because it was small like Cameron. But uh, the Dean Dome has become a a tough place, not just because of the team, but um, the the crowds are into it a little bit more than they used to be. Syracuse, when things are good, uh, which they haven't been 
too much lately because it's such a fast arena there's so many people in there. Uh, once upon a time, Louisville was a very tough place to play. Uh, we're talking about a place like JPJ, a little bit bigger. And um, when they had good teams, that, that was a very difficult place to play. And, and of course, John Paul Jones Arena uh, can get almost as loud as any place I've been. Uh, Duke is still the loudest place. And, again, I think part of it is because it's a smaller space. But there's a couple of times back in the 80s and 90s I thought I'd lost my hearing in that place because it was so loud. Um, it gets really intense. And uh, the same thing for Carmichael. The first time I really experienced a loud crowd was was the uh, when Jordan stole the ball uh, and beat Virginia in the last second. So I think he stole it from Rick Carlisle uh, and Carmichael. And that I, I really thought I had lost my hearing that night. It was so loud in that place. Where's the John Paul Jones Arena stack up? It, it's way up there. Uh, it can get really loud at JPJ when the te- when the crowd is really into it. And uh, um, it, it's a tough place to play, obviously, because, uh, I mean, you look at the record and uh, – I don't think, you know, I think they have a hard time scheduling sometimes because people don't want to come here and play. Longest home winning streak in the nation? Yep, absolutely. 21 games. 21 now. games. And uh, hosting Notre Dame tomorrow night, <clears throat> trying to get a little revenge over that game at South Bend. Uh, I expect to be a pretty loud crowd for that one too national tv espn 2 seven o'clock tip off against the fighting irish he's 100 percent right revenge a, a dish best served cold um and tony bennett's boys are seeking revenge after getting hammered in south bend a lot i want to cover with you on today's program and 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 we've got a turnaround of significant proportions here i talked about this yesterday on on the i love seville show i mean 10 days ago 14 days ago part of the fan base was asking these questions. First question, is Tony Bennett's pack line defense conducive to this new style of college basketball? Fans were asking this question, is Tony Bennett adapting to the new NIL landscape of college basketball? Fans were asking this question, can Coach Bennett work the transfer portal well enough? Because at this point, it doesn't look like he can. And shockingly, even some writers, which we won't name, were asking this question, is Tony Bennett the right guy to lead this program? Both you and I found the four questions borderline blasphemous, especially the last one. Now Bennett, coach has got him on a four-game winning streak, and the same folks that were throwing the shade are now eating crow, Hootie. Yeah, I mean, Virginia is, uh, what, in third place, I think, in the ACC? By half game behind half Duke. Game. And, yeah. And um, they're, uh, they're playing very well. I mean – Virginia fans tend to reach for the panic button a little more quicker than I think a lot of fan bases do. I don't know. We've discussed reasons why we think that is. But, um, you know, and it's funny, Jerry, by the time we have another show next Tuesday, they will have played three more games. (laughs) It's hard to believe. Notre Dame, then at Clemson on Saturday, and then Miami here next Monday in the first Monday night game. Um of the season, I think. So, um, I mean, people just don't listen sometimes. I mean, we've said several times that Tony Bennett said, this is not going to be the same team in November that you see in March. Clearly not even the same team that we're seeing right now that we saw in November. Um, uh, he's one of the most innovative coaches out there, and people may not believe that because he sticks traditionally to his pack line and his slower tempo, but there are so many intricacies involved in, in running those properly and getting the most out of them. And, and, and when people study you and break you down and find weaknesses, you've got to self-correct, and that's what he's very good at and I mean you look at the Notre Dame game the last time they played they and 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 several teams kind of copycatted Xerox that game plan that Notre Dame had 
coming out firing threes, uh, various things like that. Um, Tony has, has, has changed some of the defensive coverages to get the shooters, running them off the line. Uh, they've been working hard on, on taking the three-point shot away. Um, he's developed an inside game with Jordan Miner, bringing him along slowly and, until he could adapt his feet more than anything else to the pack, to the uh, pack line man-to-man instead of playing zone for four years at Merrimack. Um, he's brought some of his other guys along. Um, he needed to get Harris back in the lineup because they need that on-ball defense. Uh, it, he's constantly working. And, you know, when all this is said and done, who knows where they're going to finish up? We could be seeing Tony Bennett's best coaching job of his career this year, regardless of what the outcome is, because he had three the, players the, returning of yeah, merit. Yeah, I mean, it, it takes time to um, for these guys to to learn each other and and make it a cohesive team. I mean, these guys didn't even know each other. <clears throat> six months ago or whatever, and, you know, <clears throat> they have to work together like a well-oiled machine, and it just doesn't happen overnight. I want to – Edward <clears throat> Jenkins, welcome, welcome to the program on Twitter. Uh, seven states on the broadcast right now watching the Jerry and Jerry show. We're talking Virginia basketball. We're, we're, we're having this topic. Could this be Tony Bennett's best coaching year yet? And, and he's had a lot of really good coaching years. We want to highlight a couple of elements here. Isaac McNeely, Reese Beekman, and Ryan Dunn. These are the three start, the three players that return to Virginia basketball. Besides that, the entire team is brand new. You talk about some of the transformations or adaptions or innovations he's made with this program. Let's go position by position. Reese Beekman, we've literally seen this season how he's progressed offensively. He is now aggressively looking for his shot, attacking the rack off the dribble, and finishing with strength through contact in the paint. Like saying, I'm the alpha dog. I want to score. I know I can put this team on my back. That's something new for Reese Beekman this year. Go to the two-guard spot. Isaac McNeely, and you highlighted highlighted this very well on jerryrackliff.com, is now taking jump shots from Bonusphere at the logo. He's practicing them at the logo. He's being pushed off the three-point line. He's shooting this, the three ball way deeper than ever because he can't shoot it at the line anymore because defenders are waiting for him there. You talk Ryan Dunn. We've seen Ryan Dunn transition to more of an attacker's role on the wing, going off the dribble to the rack, which utilizes his God-given ability, his length, his, his jumping ability, and his explosiveness. He's put Miner in the lineup, a transfer from four years of zone defense at Mary Mack, now coming into the highest level of college basketball, and he's performing admirably, especially in the offensive class. Mm-hmm. He takes Rhodey from the starting lineup, moves him to the bench, because Dante Harris is finally healthy after a high ankle sprain. Harris may not be the scorer we thought we would be, but he's an additional ball handler. He's a great passer, and his defense should not be underrated. He's got... First years in, 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 in Gertrude that fill, that are kind of glue guys that fill in when needed. Bonds playing damn good basketball off the bench. You got Buchanan, a first year that's playing very good basketball. I mean, this very well could be, and Hootie highlighted this, this is why he's a Hall of Famer. This very well could be his best coaching year in Charlottesville. Yeah, I really like what he's doing with Buchanan, bringing him along, <clears throat> excuse me, bringing him along gradually and uh, now they have a, a pretty nice attack inside using him and Miner as essentially one guy um, getting enough minutes out of the both of them to be an, an effective um, position right there. But, uh, you know, Miner's come on strong. Uh, <clears throat> Buchanan, <clears throat> excuse me, I got a frog in my throat. Buchanan is... Um, has made some nice strides in the past couple of weeks, I think, and and by the time this season's over, I think he's he won't be a freshman anymore for sure. <clears throat> he's looking really good, uh, learning from his mistakes and becoming more aggressive, but smart, doing it in a smart way. 
and um, Groves a heck of an option <clears throat> to bring off the bench. He really is. He, he provides some spark, and um, some of these other guys are just you know Beekman is now everything we thought he would be coming in. It, it took him a little while to get there this season, but right now he's uh, he's a guy you want the ball in his hands every time down the floor if possible because he's he's going to make something happen either he's going to drive to the basket and score or pull up and hit a shot or get the ball into the hands of the right people his chemistry with with Dunn on those alley oops has become poetic really, really <laughs> something to watch and um He's just the kind of leader that they thought that he would be. Um, Beekman, the only thing missing from his game is shooting from downtown, shooting at a proficient or higher clip from downtown. Last I looked, he was shooting about 26 27% from Bonusphere. He works on that. you got a prolific NBA-bodied point guard right here. Yeah. We, we, questions are coming in. Renee's got this question. I promised I'd relay uh, her first question to the viewers and listeners. Ask Hootie a question. I'll, I'll, I'll mention it live on air. Renee's saying, now that Reese has elevated his game, do you think he's a first-round pick? I'll add to that. What has he done in your mind over the last 30 days to change? Uh, right now, I don't, <clears throat> I don't think he's a first-round pick at this point. Um, and I, some of that goes back to offense. Even though it has improved, I don't think it's consistent enough at this point to become a first-rounder. But um, he's a very draftable guy now, and he could play his way into the first round. Depends on how he performs the rest of the season and and I guess when he goes into the combine and all that stuff. But... Um, he has really elevated his game, as she pointed out. Uh, we already knew that he was a great defender, that he was a really sharp assist man, steals. Uh, 2.4 a game. Almost incomparable. Yep. Uh, good ball handler, smart, uh, driven. Uh, it's just the offense right now that's that's holding him back from from being a higher draft pick, and, and that can get better as the season goes on. The comparison's being made to Malcolm Brogdon. It's a hell of a comparison to be compared to a guy like Malcolm Brogdon. Brogdon has had made tens of millions of dollars, probably flirting with $100 million in the National Basketball Association. He's been a bit of a journeyman, Malcolm Brogdon, but he's had a fantastic NBA career without a doubt. The difference for me, and you're the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, I'll toss it to you, and I want to make a correction. He's, aver- he's, he's shooting 29.3% from downtown, better than the 26, 27% I gave him credit for. Still, 29.3% is not great for a point guard. I would also like to see his free throw percentage north of 80. He misses some key free throws from time to time, shooting 75% from the stripe. The comparison to Brogdon I don't think is applicable because Brogdon is a much better shooter than Reese Beekman. Yeah, Malcolm could light it up, and and we've seen that. Uh, We saw it when he was here. We've seen it ever since. And that's one of the reasons that a lot of teams in the NBA think he's a nice piece to their puzzle. Uh, I've heard that the Lakers and the Clippers both are interested in trying to acquire him. he, he's the kind of guy that can help make your team complete. And uh, it, it's, it's, there's no comparison for a guy who can light up the scoreboard. And, and that's something that uh, Reese is going to have to become better at. Undoubtedly. John Allison watching the program right now. Comments are coming in fast. Um, this is a very good question from the viewers and listeners. When it comes to Ryan Dunn, and this is from Kelsey who's watching the program, she routinely comments on the show. When it comes to Ryan Dunn, what has Hootie seen that he's been doing much better? I look at the box score, and he's now filling it up from a scoring standpoint as well. He's just, I think he's become a little more aggressive, um, particularly, I mean, anytime he's around the paint, uh, people have to beware because if he gets the ball in his hands, he, he's, he can take it to the rack. Uh, it doesn't have to be a backdoor or a alley-oop or any of that. He can just flat-out attack the basket and and score. Um, and he's finishing with more authority, I think, than he used to. He, he used to kind of – he would leave a few on the rim 
or uh, something to that effect. But now he just, <laughs> there's no doubt about it. When he goes to the rim now, he's going to flush it. And uh, I, I think that's what he's become better at. Um, the rest of his game is complete. I mean, rebounding, block shots. Uh, he's got long arms. He can steal the ball. He's a really good defender. He can defend multiple positions. I think it's just uh, his mentality in, in becoming more of a threat as a scorer that's made him a more complete basketball player. Larry Redwing watching the program right now. Anita Kingston in Atlanta watching the program. Natalie Fuller watching the program. Satya Mary watching the program. Questions are coming in quickly now. Grayson right around the corner in Charlottesville, north downtown, routinely ask us some questions. What do they have to do against Notre Dame? They got beat badly against the Irish. This is a big-time game for Virginia. Yeah, I think uh, just play the way they've been playing the last couple of outings. I mean, they've have a nice little four-game winning streak going. Um, I think maybe their best win in that span was beating NC State the way they did here, and it was um, with authority. I mean, they had 54 <laughs> rebounds in that game. Who, who would, have, would have ever guessed that a couple of weeks ago, that Virginia would have 54 rebounds in a game? But they're, um, I, I think they, you know, they improved in every facet of the game pretty much as a team. They're playing more together as a team. Um, I think guys are embracing their roles a little bit better, maybe learning their roles a little bit better too. And, uh, you know, we've heard all the coaches say they're a work in progress progress and that's going to continue through the season but uh, to beat Notre Dame I think they're going to have to um, do what they've been doing is is running people off that three-point line they've become very good in changing their coverages in stopping people from killing them with the three-point shot Um, they've become a much more aggressive offense themselves Um, not so much from the three-point line but from inside it, and particularly down in the paint. They've outscored a lot of people in the paint during this streak. Uh, the defense is solid. They're forcing a lot of turnovers. They're not turning it over very much themselves. Um, the fact that Harris is back and they have a two-pronged defensive attack out on the perimeter, they're uh, keeping other teams' guards from setting up the offense the way they would like to, and that's <clears> – <throat> excuse me – that's disrupting some things. And um, I, I think they're just uh, more adept at, at playing with one another. They they uh, have gotten to know each other's games and what to expect from each other a little bit more than they did early on when they were probably just guessing if this guy's going to be there or this guy's going to be there. Uh, they know they're going to be there now. Um, comments are coming in, guys. I love when the viewers and listeners ask comments. He mentions he mentions Notre Dame. Um, this question's coming to feed, and it's 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 a fair question. Carter's asking this, um, and from North Carolina, is this a must-win game for Virginia? Uh, and he highlights Notre Dame's record: seven and thirteen, two and seven in conference play. Where tomorrow's the thirty-first of January, basically February. Losing to a seven and thirteen team that's two and seven in conference play, even though the Fighting Irish beat UVA earlier in the season, this would go a long way with working against Virginia's resume come March. Yeah, oh, I, I think just about every game is a, almost a must game at this point because you're number forty-seven. I think in the net, um, you're leaving yourself hanging if you don't take care of of business and win games like this that you're supposed to win, particularly at home. Um, I I think a bigger game are the next two when they go to Clemson Saturday and then Miami coming here because I guess the Clemson game would be a quad one win, I believe. Uh, They need some of those to get off the bubble. And so is Clemson. And enhance their, uh, their resume a little bit. You don't want to be on the bubble and leave it up to somebody else whether you're going to make 
the tournament or not. So I, I, I think they're all pretty much must-win games at this point. Uh, but, you, no, you can't afford to lose to a team like Notre Dame. Uh, that's a, a resume killer for sure. Uh, Notre Dame, guys, Wednesday, John Paul Jones Arena, ESPN 2, 7 o'clock tip. February 3rd at Clemson, ESPN. Miami, the 5th of February, ESPN. The next three ball games for the Wahoos, all nationally televised, Hootie Ratcliffe. Yeah, and, and rightfully so. Um, particularly the Clemson. Yeah, Clemson's been pretty good this year. Oh, yeah. you got to give them credit. I mean, Clemson well, on national TV maybe, maybe should have beaten Duke. I mean, I watched that game. Probably should have beaten Duke. They got yeah. robbed. That's, I didn't get to see it, but I've, I've heard that uh, Brownell was really hacked off at the way that game ended. It, the, the, the call by the ref, at, basically as, as time expired, Sending the Dukey to the free throw line was a lot of home cooking from my standpoint. You know, you, you tend to get that at Cameron. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> That's so <laughs> for uh, decades. I've, I've, I know because I've been there. I used to cover Duke. Uh, so uh, I've seen a lot of that over the years. I remember uh, one year UCLA came in there <clears throat> high and mighty, and uh, they were essentially cooked off the court to the point that their coach got ejected from the game. And uh, um, <clears throat> so I've seen it for real. But, uh, in fact, I think that was Jim Valvano. It was the last, last time I ever saw Jim Valvano. I think he, he, he uh, was doing color TV, um, color analyst for uh, somebody in that game. And I remember how, um, how it hurt watching him walk so slowly off the court. It took him about – 15 or 20 minutes to, to walk out of the uh, off the court. But, uh, yeah, you can get some home cooking at Cameron for sure. And uh, But uh, Brownell has done a really good job with, with Clemson. He's a good guy, and uh, he believes in all the right things. And he's, he's done a good job. <clears throat> you certainly can't dismiss them because they're capable of beating you anytime. Um, John Allison, Renee Pettifor, we'll get to your comments. First, Stephanie Wells Rhodes of the Interstate Service Company family, a home's best friend. Clemson should have won, she said. That was absolutely unfair. I absolutely concur. My wife and I watched that ball game. We were both screaming at the television about the home cooking. Philip Dow watching the program in Scottsville right now. The show is absolutely on fire. John Allison right now, he says, for Hootie, um, turning to baseball, and we'll get to baseball. I promise you, John Allison. Let me mark this question down because we've got a lot of basketball left. He, he wants to know your thoughts on Coach O'Connor and whether he gets the Wahoos back to Omaha and a strong ACC. We'll get to that, I promise. Other, shot, other comments coming in for Hootie. Uh, this one from Renee. Oh, my goodness. I remember the Grayson Allen shot against UVA. <laughs> yeah. She says the look on Tony Bennett's face after Duke's win and our loss after that shot was devastating. Yeah, I remember that as well. And uh, I think there was like three seasons in a row where Virginia lost uh, on just some bizarre uh, last-second histrionics down there at Cameron. And that was the I think that was the second or the third one in that series. Um, but there was one. Let's, let's also remember the positive, too. And you're, he's a positive kind of guy. How about Reese Beekman? Reese Beekman hitting some winners over there. Yeah, and uh, Todd Jerome, uh, dagger down there that ended that long losing streak at Duke um, a few years ago. And, and uh, that that is one of the more pleasant memories for Virginia in that building. Uh, where they've st- Well, not just Virginia struggled. Everybody has struggled for years. But um, it's a tough place to play. I, I mean, and... and it's a tough environment, but it's it's tough because of who you're playing. It's not necessarily the crowd as much as it is the the uh, people in those jerseys because they bring in talent. There's no question about it. And for years they had the winningest coach in the history of the game on their sidelines, and that makes a difference too. Um, questions coming in, guys. Put them in the feed. We'll relay them live on air. Some. Patta Schmidt watching the program. Sam, thank you for joining us here. This one's come in the feed. Brandon Scott, Jerry, what are your thoughts on the rumors floating around about the SEC wanting UVA and UNC? 
Uh, well, you know, we've been hearing this stuff for months. Yeah, even longer than that. And uh, I mean, who knows where this is going to go? I, I don't think anybody really knows. The president of the NCAA was here last week at the Virginia game to present an award. And um, I know Jonathan Cotton from the Good Feet Store had a long conversation with him about the future of college athletics. It'll be interesting to pick their brains on that. But, I mean, we see so many different models of of an upper tier in the NCAA where there'll be 50 or 60 schools that'll pay players. Uh, again, we don't know where all this is going. There could be player unions. There could be all kinds of contracts um, coming. Uh, it, who knows what's going to happen? Uh, an upper tier, uh, I don't know if Virginia would be in that upper tier or not because it's, it's going to be uh, more like professional sports, really. Uh, I don't know if UVA is the kind of school that wants to go there. I, I almost think it's going to head there before Virginia goes to the SEC or, or the Big Ten because I, it, it just it, it, at some point I just wonder if all this is just going to devour itself because it can't sustain itself going in the direction it's going right now. There, there's no rules essentially um people are taking advantage of of every situation I, I just don't think that it can continue on like this without something falling apart it's just i'll yeah. add a little color to this and then get out of your yeah, way sure dom starja we love dom for those that don't remember dom starja hall of fame lacrosse coach virginia multi-time national champion one of the godfathers lacrosse he puts over the weekend out a tweet. He says he's talking to college coaches, lacrosse coaches, and one of the top things high school lacrosse players are now asking, what else can you do for me, coach? Sure. Referencing the NIL money. Sure. And this is lacrosse, Hootie. Well, um, baseball, uh, Brian O'Connor pointed out, you know, the, the NIL in baseball, and this was a – this was not an on-the-record conversation, but I think this part is okay. Uh, I won't go into all the all the uh, details of it, but I think this part's okay to reveal. He said that, you know, in football and basketball, athletes are getting paid their full scholarship money, obviously with their with the scholarships. So any money they get through NIL, those players get to keep. In baseball, and I'm sure in the other Olympic sports, I would think, uh, there are probably some exceptions, but in baseball where they can only afford to give partial scholarships, any NIL money comes in to cover the rest of the cost of that scholarship. Uh, I think it's probably some rare cases where athletes are actually making money, but <coughs> I know that there is at least <coughs> Excuse me. I know there's at least one ACC baseball school that's all in, and and they have a very sizable NIL deal, and and they are paying players beyond this their scholarship. How do you compete with that if you're the rest of the ACC? You can't. <coughs> you can't. You can't compete it if you're the rest of the ACC. Yeah. So um, we're only beginning to see some of the problems that, that this is causing. How, how I mean, no, one, no one's got a crystal ball here, so we're just doing this for the sake of a talk show. I mean, how much longer does it go into this Wild West landscape? I, I don't know because the NCAA can't control it because every time they try to get a grip on things, they get sued, and they, they don't have the wherewithal to, to fight tons of lawsuits for millions and millions of dollars it's so expensive um it looks like to me that either they're going to have to have a great reformation and everybody's going to have to agree to it at, at all the schools or at least the vast majority or congress is going to have to do something and make it a law um otherwise I, who knows where it's going to go uh, it, it's out of control now and 
I think it's ruining college sports. Me too. Uh, at Me some too. point, and uh, not right now because they're having record numbers of viewers on TV for at least the college football season. I don't know how it's affecting basketball, but um, at some point, are you are you going to turn off the average college fan to where they just say, I, you know, I'm, I don't I don't care anymore? And at that point. If you can't sell advertising because nobody's watching, that's going to have a major impact on everything. Well said, Hootie Ratcliffe. you got got uh, Connie watching on Twitter from South Carolina. She follows you. She's retired from General Electric. Thank you for watching the program. Questions are coming in hot right now for Hootie Ratcliffe. Uh, this basketball team, here's a really good one for you. This basketball team still has a lot of work to do to get into the NCAA tournament. How would Hootie characterize their chances right now if the season of making the dance? They're probably out. Oh, right now they're definitely out. Yeah. Uh, the latest thing I saw last night, they were uh... – the guy has a, uh, a last four in, the next four out, and the next four out. And Virginia was in the group after that. So they've got some major work to do. There's no question about it. They're going to have to beat some teams that are ranked ahead of them for sure. Um, we start yeah. noticing UVA climbing the polls, both in the receiving votes portion of mm-hmm. uh, both the top 25 polls now. Yeah, they're getting starting to get some recognition. They have to follow through with it. I mean, certainly these next three games are going to be telling because um, they really need to just take care of business with Notre Dame. Uh, going down to Clemson on the road Saturday is is not going to be easy. No, um, and Clemson needs it. Clemson needs it, uh, and then Miami is. Stubbed its toe a little bit. They'll be coming in here. Uh, I don't think they have a very good record in JPJ, but um, you can't take Laranega's teams for granted because he always has them ready to play. Uh, if if they could sweep those three games, they would enhance their resume dramatically. Um, I think they would be right up there around first last four in instead of like 12 spots, oh, 10 or 12 spots back. <clears throat> but they, they've, got, they've got work to do, and they've, they've got uh, – there's plenty of teams and opportunities on the schedule th- for them to do just that, but they, they have to bear down and get it done. Uh, this is a really good question. Uh, Thomas is watching the program in Richmond. We know UNC is the best basketball team in the ACC, yes. but how does Hootie think uh, two, three, four, and five stack up? regardless of conference record right now? I think it's kind of a scramble for the other spots at this point. Um, Everybody has shown that they have potential to be in those top four, and then uh, everybody has shown some vulnerability as well. So uh, Duke, I think, will probably get better as they go along because it's a young team. That's their that's their history. Um, so I I, I think uh, if you're going to get them, you better get them as soon as you can because you don't want to be playing them toward the end of the season. Uh, NC State and Wake are uh, are very good. It's going to be uh, anytime you beat either one of those teams, you've you've done a good job. Um, Miami has potential. They have some. They have some weaknesses, uh, same as Virginia. Um, you can't discount the Hokies, even though they got off to a rough start. But they're playing some pretty good basketball right now. Um, Syracuse uh, has a chance to jump up and bite people. They've got some talent on that team. Uh, I don't think I'm overlooking anybody, but. Uh, uh, I, I think it's Carolina, and then you got five or six schools lumped together there that it's going to be a mad scramble to see who can uh, end up in the postseason out of that group. Uh, Virginia's got Duke once on the docket this year, second-to-last game of the regular season at Cameron on March 2nd. ESPN's got that broadcast 
They close the season at home against the Ramblin' Wreck from Atlanta, uh, March 9th, ACC Network. This basketball team's got some work to do, but with a four-game winning streak, it certainly has momentum going for it. Uh, here's a very good question for you. Um, how does McNeely get looks if they keep running him off the three-point line? Well, and, and going back to that other point, too, the ACC is being frowned upon nationally by a lot of people. I, I don't know why, because I, I don't think anybody wants to play some of these ACC teams, but right now there's only... Uh, some of the prognosticators only have two or three ACC schools in the tournament. So. There's only two ranked in the top 25. Yeah, so um, Virginia's not the only one that has work to do. But uh, to McNeely, um, I mean, there's not a lot you can do when another team makes it a point of emphasis to shut you down. You mentioned one thing earlier, that he's taking some deeper threes. His range is 23 to 25 feet. Which is incredible. Uh, some people are going to let him have that shot, and if he's on that night, he's going to make them pay. Um, he is simultaneously is working on the rest of his game of pump faking, getting people up in the air and driving in for a closer shot, um, which would make him a, a more complete player. Uh, I think most of your great three-point shooters that I've seen in college basketball over the decades have been guys who can do that and take use that to their advantage. And I, I think that's something we'll see him become more adept at as we go along. But um, one thing that's going to help him now is having Jordan Minor in the lineup to set more screens because he's much more he's, – he's, a better screener than some of the guys they've had in there in the past. So um, there's really no magic formula to getting him more shots except more screens and, and uh, for him to keep moving, keep working, and, again, take advantage of that pump fake and, and making people pay um, by getting a, a closer, higher percentage shot. I mean, it's also important to highlight for the, the, the viewer asking the question, even if McNeely's run off the three-point line and they're guarding him feet beyond the three-point line, it's almost like a talented wide receiver in football that's getting double covered. It opens up opportunities yeah. for someone else on the floor. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Virginia has to take advantage of that. When somebody else gets an, uh, when he's covered, he, he passes off to somebody else for an open three. They've got to make it. Right, they got to make it. This question's come in on, on Rody. Uh, you know, uh, we, we both feel for the guy. He's not performing at the clip that, that he would want of himself, nor would the coaching staff. Multiple people are asking, what's wrong with Andrew Rody? That's a, that's a tough question. I don't know, but um, he's a good defender, he's a good passer, he's smart. He's just struggling with his shot, and we, we've seen guys do that before. Um, I mean, he's shooting 33% from the free throw line. That that tells me that it's in his head, and I, I don't know what you do about that. It's it's like a guy being in a, a, a really good hitter being in a batting slump. Um, you just got to work your way out of it, and – you know, we, we've seen some guys that um, that couldn't do it. I mean, Casey Morsell couldn't shoot the first two years he was here, and he ended up going somewhere else and shooting the, shooting the ball fine for NC State. And it's a different kind of offense. I don't know that that's the case with, with Rody, but he's just got to keep working and, and trying to find a solution. I I. I think a lot of it's just gotten into his head and maybe he's having some confidence issues and because um, we, we, you know, he, um, I, I'm not so sure that it's a, people say it's, well, it's because he played at a lower division. I don't buy that. I don't buy that. Tony Bennett doesn't buy that. Yeah. Tony Bennett said, if you can shoot or if you can play basketball, it doesn't matter what division you're in. So, Especially jump shooting. And he proved that himself. Right going from Green Bay to the NBA, and we see guys from smaller schools uh, in the NBA all the time. So uh, he's just got to keep working, and it may not happen this year. It may take until next year, but um, 
he can't give up on himself because I, I know Tony's not going to give up on him. Virginia graduate James Watson watching the program. 2011, the 2011-2012 season, Tony Bennett took UVA to the NCAA tournament. They had not been in years leading up to that year. I remember that being a hell of a coaching job. They did have three guys that ultimately became pros from that 11-12, but Malcolm Brogdon was a freshman, and Sammy Z, Sammy Zaglinski, was running point guard that year. That was a good basketball team. Um, we... I appreciate the comment from James Watson. appreciate all your comments. I sincerely mean that. We've had an abundance of riches with Coach Bennett since he's arrived to Charlottesville. And we highlighted on the previous show, please remember the challenges this basketball team faced during the Dave Lato and Pete Gillen eras. Having a team even flirting with the big dance was considered a success in the Lato and Gillen eras. There was a lot of CBI invitations if we remember. So please have some perspective that's advice that Hootie has offered, I'm offering on the show. This question's coming for you specifically on uh, Jordan Miner's impact on this team, and I'll read it verbatim from Stephen, who's watching in Hampton Roads. He says, with Miner on the lineup, they have toughness in the paint, and we should not overlook his offensive rebounding talents. Yeah, and... Um... I mean, he had good numbers at Merrimack, and, and, you know, people say, well, Merrimack, big deal. Well, the, the, the team from his conference uh, made it to the Final Eight last year. Um, he's just, you know, he's, he's just – it took time for him. Uh, I, I can't emphasize enough. If you play zone defense your entire career, four years yeah. – it's vastly different than playing man to man. I mean, it it it's like night and day. Uh, the the foot movement, the coordination it takes, the, the mental um, preparation and and concentration to to play man to man defense, and particularly the pack line, because it's not just your common man to man. It has all kinds of rules that that uh, people who play man to man defense have to work hard to get down. So it was a major, major adjustment for him to come in and learn that. And we saw how long it took. It took a couple of months, plus all the preseason when he was working out with coaches and stuff trying to to learn it. It's just something that doesn't happen overnight. And uh, we always knew he was – strong physical guy and could score a little bit around the basket could rebound it was just a matter of being able to connect your mind and your feet and and put them in the right place at the right time and uh, i mean you go back to the rocky movie when uh <laughs> pop culture here we go when the uh when rocky's trainer was mick when Mick was uh, tying his feet together and making him chase chickens and <laughs> stuff like that, I mean, it's just it's it's a lot about footwork and coordination and and little things like that that it just doesn't happen overnight. What was Hootie Rackle's favorite sports movie of all time? Oh wow, um, I like I liked all the early Rocky movies. Me too. Um, I liked Rudy. Oh, um, that's my favorite one. Um, uh, uh, the baseball movie with um, a league of their own. No, no, no. Uh, uh, with the the magic bat. Um, oh, the one? natural. The natural. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't believe I couldn't think of that. Uh, there's there's so many, uh, and then there's some really bad sports movies. But uh, there's there's <laughs> some really good ones out there. And um, I saw one the other night that I didn't even know existed. And it wasn't a great movie, but it was interesting. It was um, it's about Jackie Robinson, this Jackie Robinson story. And I had seen that uh, in some other movies. But in this one, Jackie Robinson was playing Jackie Robinson <laughs> in the movie. Okay. Uh, I thought that was good. I, I liked the one uh, with Ronald Reagan playing Newt Rockney in uh, Win One for the Gipper, whatever that was. Everybody's uh, – there's, there's so many, but uh, – um, 
certainly the Rocky movies, the first couple were, were spectacular. Absolutely. Apollo Creed steals the show. Rocky Balboa, the story of him writing the script and insisting that he stars in Rocky One or he would not sell the script. Initially, the, the, the uh, studio tried to buy the script from him for hundreds of thousands of dollars. He turned down the offer because they wouldn't let him star in it. Then he sells the script for a much less amount of money because he gets to play Rocky Balboa and Rocky One, and the rest is history. And nobody could have played that role. Like no one played it better than him. Nobody. At that point of his career, he had to sell his dog outside of a liquor store. He was that broke. Wow. He was, he was legitimately taking his wife's jewelry to sell that they were that broke. And now look at what Rocky Balboa has done and Sylvester Stallone in that movie franchise. Uh, we'll get to basketball here, Hootie. Um, keys to victory against the fighting Irish. Bob Shotta, we'll get to your comment here in a matter of moments. Well, um, I think they just have to play the way they've been playing. Uh, this, is a, uh, Virginia, this is a much different basketball team, Virginia, than when they lost in South Bend. Oh, it's vastly different. Yeah. Um, I mean, one, you've got uh, Miner in there doing things that people weren't doing several weeks before. You've got a, a, a reliable guy in Buchanan who's coming in and giving him a, a blow <clears throat> so that he can stay fresh. Uh, McNeely is McNeely. Um, Bigman has become more aggressive. Dunn's become more aggressive. you got Harris in there playing on-ball, delivering on-ball pressure. They didn't have all that at Notre Dame. And they're playing better defensively. Uh, they're not allowing as many straight-line drives as they were. They're not letting the pick-and-roll beat them like they were. At Notre Dame took huge advantage of that. Um, this, this is a completely different basketball team than Notre Dame faced the first time out. Uh, they just got to play – Virginia basketball, and they should be fine. Uh, comments are coming in so fast. You guys make the program great. Bob Shotta watching the program. We've dubbed him the vice mayor of Vivace Restaurant. The mayor of the mayor of Vivace. <laughs> I was at Vivace's last week. Uh, Vivace, a proud partner of JerryRatcliffe.com. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Vivace, the mayor of Vivace, Keith Clark, a gentleman of legendary proportions formerly of J.W. Sieg and of Virginia Eagle, Bob Shotta, the vice mayor, mm -hmm. he says this, I'm sorry, but I respectfully disagree with the level of play issues. Plenty of Tony Bennett's recruits in the early days could not compete at the higher level. You hope they can, but it's not easy. Everyone is bigger, faster, and stronger, so if your confidence goes away, it should not be a surprise. I guess he's referencing Andrew Rohde there. Yeah, well... Um Naturally, Tony is recruiting a, a higher level of player now because of his success. And, I mean, there weren't a lot of four-stars being recruited into the program back in those early years. And now, if you're not a four-star, you rarely even get a look. Uh, I think all these guys, have, most of them have been ranked in the top 100 to top 125 in the last two or three recruiting classes. I mean, Gertrude was one of the top recruits out there. Yeah, he was the highest recruited player in Virginia history. Right. Uh, and uh, the Bliss kid is, is really up there. I, all, all these guys are pretty much. I mean, some of them aren't. Some of the transfers aren't. Obviously. He's referencing Christian Bliss, who you often see stroking jump shots after a game on an empty John Paul Jones arena. Yeah, and he's going to be a star. He's going to be a star. Um, I'm not exactly sure what he was getting at with his comment, but, um, yeah, some of the guys that they had in that program early on developed into great basketball players. They didn't necessarily come here that way. I know, uh, for example, Malcolm Brogdon was a guy that they weren't they – he wasn't even on the radar until Richie McKay was at a – AAU tournament, I think, in Georgia or South Carolina. And they were actually looking at somebody else, and Richie saw him and said, man, I really like this guy's game. And at that point, you know, uh, Brogdon was thinking about going to Yale or Harvard. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, look at Ryan Dunn. Yeah. Ryan Dunn comes to UVA without a scholarship. Yeah, no, he, he didn't he didn't have to. Yeah, well, he had other to. options, but yeah. he wanted to play for Coach Bennett. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you know, um, 
was it, uh, who was it? Was it, um, it was key. I mean, look at Kia Clark. I was mean, it Cal State Fullerton? Yeah. And, uh, Tony looked at him and said, you know, I, I don't know why I like him, but I, I, I like him. And the same thing with Kyle Guy, um, or was it Jerome? It was one of those two that Tony wasn't totally sold on. He couldn't figure out why he liked him, but he stuck with him. There was something about him. Um, so some of these guys weren't, like, being recruited by Duke and Carolina and Kentucky and people like that. Like, I mean, some of the guys Virginia's losing to now in recruiting are, are Duke, uh, Alabama, people like that, North Carolina. So it's a higher caliber player he's recruiting now than he was able to he, he got lucky with some of these guys and he helped develop some of these early guys that didn't have quite the game that I mean he looks at himself as a developmental program Tracy that, Wada watching the program St. Louis Missouri's in the house right now on the Jerry and Jerry show I mean he can point to his his success placing players in the NBA now and Absolutely. he didn't have that opportunity when he first arrived to Charlottesville. Now he can highlight, I mean, uh, what, you go Drone, you go Brogdon, you go Mike Scott, you go Joe. I mean, he's got a boatload of talent in the league. Diakite, I mean, I know he's hopped around, but he's got a boatload of talent. And, and that was what other coaches were negatively recruiting. Uh, who knows how many guys he might have lost because of that, because other rival coaches were saying – you don't want to go to Virginia. You'll never play in the NBA if you go to Virginia. And they can't use that against him anymore. Philip Dow watching the program, he says, it seems to me that a key to winning against Notre Dame and beyond is taking advantage of the paint to, taking advantage of the paint to get points inside. That appears to be a weakness. We depend on the three, and that has gotten this team into trouble. I concur, and that's why I think one of the turning points for this program, and I'll throw it to Hootie Ratcliffe, is the, the emergence of minor uh, Miner offers interior toughness, offensive rebounding, some put-back ability on misses around the rim, and we should not underestimate his ability to screen. He reminds me in a lot of ways of a Jack Salt when it comes to his screening ability. Yeah, and if you look at the stats in the last three or four games, most of those games they have uh, lopsidedly won the points in the paint battle. And out-rebounded, I think, three or four opponents in a row. And that's something you couldn't have said early on, uh, particularly against Notre Dame. And, and they were depending on the three-point shot a lot. But uh, the last few games, I think there was one game, but the other three, that they had a lot of threes. But the other three games, I don't think they shot many threes at all. And... Uh, scored a lot of points in the paint and and that has made a big difference it's made them a much tougher team to beat because you know teams were relying on that that was a huge emphasis was to get to McNeely out there chase him off the line and then make somebody else beat you well now those other guys are beating you and uh, that's something that wasn't happening before so there's no question they're going to attack Notre Dame in the paint and uh, should be very successful at it. And look at what minor guys did against NC State. A 59-53 overtime victory for Virginia men's basketball. Jordan Minor, 10 points, 9 rebounds, 6 offensive rebounds. And Virginia dominates the glass 54-32 to against the Wolfpack. You can point to rebounding as perhaps why they won this contest. And I want to highlight 6 offensive rebounds and 10 points for Jordan Minor in that outcome. Uh, we will get to baseball. We clearly see a lot of fans watching the program with Brian O'Connor uh, an affinity for his baseball team. First, I'd love for you to dot the I's, cross the T's on, on Virginia men's basketball. The rest of the schedule, you got three games before we're on air next Tuesday with the next edition of the Jerry and Jerry Show. This is a crucial, crucial part of the season. It's a big stretch right here, and, and this this could determine whether they make the NCAA tournament or not. If, if they could somehow sweep those three games, they'd be right there, and, and uh, they might they might actually play their way off the bubble if they can win these three games. I know uh, that Notre Dame is is uh, not ranked very high in the in the national. Uh, analytics and all that stuff, but still you, you, you need to hold court, win that game. 
then focus on beating Clemson on the road, and then uh, if you can knock off Miami, that's a that's an impressive back-to-back there. If you can beat Clemson and Miami, I think you could play your way off the bubble and maybe into that first four in if you could sweep those three games. So uh, there, there's going to be tons of opportunities from here on out, and they, they just got to take advantage of them. They can't afford to slip up and and uh, resort back to the way they were playing before, and I don't think they will. I don't think they will either. I think this team is starting to find an identity, uh, which I'm extremely excited about. JerryRatcliffe.com is the website for anything Virginia sports related. JerryRatcliffe.com. Baseball on the, I mean, it's still cold outside, but these boys play in the cold <laughs> early in the season here. A lot of folks I see in the feed talking Brian O'Connor here, Hootie. Yeah, well, uh, I had a, uh, our great, what was it, 75 degrees one day last week. Uh, I had a great uh, fortune to go over and, and talk with Coach O'Connor. It was a beautiful day outside, and we're going to have uh, four or five stories coming out of that. Uh, it was the first day of practice. It felt like uh, felt like April or May out there instead of uh, January. It was the it was the fake uh, the fake spring that we often get at this point <laughs> of the year in Charlottesville. And uh, Brian, starting his twenty first year, he, we looked at each other and he says, "Man, I can't believe it's been twenty one years." I remember this is a true story here. I was working for you at the newspaper. Brian O'Connor takes over as the head coach for Virginia baseball. He's in his, like, mid-30s. Mm-hmm. We go to the press box. I think Andrew Joyner, the traditional baseball beat writer, was on assignment doing something with Coach Starja. He loved covering the lacrosse team and Coach Starja. You said, all right, Jerry, you're going to go to this baseball uh, press conference where they're announcing this guy we don't really know about, Brian O'Connor, as the new head coach. I'm over in the press box. Jeff White is there as well. We're the only media members yeah. at the press conference announcing a new baseball coach. Yeah. Davenport Field looks nothing like it does right now. Oh, absolutely. Shadow of what it was. We're in the press conference. Someone mentions who's Virginia's biggest rival. He was unsure of how to answer that question. He said, but I'll figure it out. This was 20-some years ago, and now Coach O'Connor what? Put his name on the stadium, Hall of Famer. He's a Hall. Well, he was inducted into the coaches Hall of Fame uh, last week or week before, and uh, deservedly so. He, um, I mean, he's it's it's been incredible the work he's done here, and he did it all the right way. He he uh, went out and did the hard work, the dirty work. He's been out at pancake breakfasts serving pancakes, uh, hot dog dinners. He's done gone to the grassroots of the community and, and sold the community on baseball. And I, I used to tell some of the Virginia ADs back in the day that, you know, this is a much better baseball community than you're giving them credit for. 100%. Because they wouldn't put any money into the baseball program. And um, they finally figured it out. And, and the right people put money into building Davenport and uh, the dish. And it, it, it's a showcase facility now. And some of the former players that are now in the major leagues are, are putting money back into it. Chris Taylor from the Dodgers was over there the other day working out when I was there. Ryan Zimmerman. Ryan Zimmerman has done it. There, there's several guys have pumped money into it. Doolittle, I think, and s- some other guys. Um and I mean, gosh, they've got so many guys in the major leagues and, and ready to go into the major leagues, and some more guys. And every year they're bringing in more future major leaguers. But uh, he's he's embraced the community, and they've embraced him back. And uh, he's he's done just an incredible coaching job with with that program over there. He should be somebody if somebody wants to have a model for how it should be done. They should come and study what Brian O'Connor has done here. Absolutely. He's, he's absolutely, absolutely amazing. Um, what do you have in the hopper? JerryRackliff.com. Well, uh, lots of stuff. We're, uh, um, obviously uh, focusing a lot on this three game basketball 
streak coming up that we talked about within the next week. Um, going to revisit the uh, the life of um, Bobby Edwards, who uh, passed back in December. We they had a celebration of life for him at Farmington this past weekend that I attended. Place was packed. Uh, one of the guys that painted Ralph's house on <clears throat> University Hall. Uh, so we'll revisit that um, story about Tony Bennett being uh, selected as the most innovative basketball coach in the country. Um, we'll be delving into the baseball now that they're uh, in practice and uh, should be another really good year. He's brought in some good transfers, some pitchers. Uh, we talked to three of the players the other day and O'Connor. So uh, a plethora of, of stuff for Wahoo fans to consume and digest over the next uh, week or so. The website's jerryratcliffe.com. We're on it every day to prepare for the show. And just because we love Wahoo sports, jerryratcliffe.com. It's the namesake of the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer. Hootie and his team do a bang-up job covering Virginia athletics, guys. The Jerry and Jerry Show airs Tuesdays at 10.15 a.m. Wherever you get your social media and your podcasting content. Judah Wickhauer, the director and producer of the show. Liza, the uh, lab Pitbull mix, is the mascot of the Jerry and Jerry Show. She's amazing. Hootie often brings her a little, little piece of bacon in the morning. Uh, and she's quickly become very fond of Hootie Ratcliffe, <laughs> who is a dog lover. I am. I he have two dogs. He loves dogs. Um, thank you guys for making the show awesome. Your comments and questions really make the show wonderful. And we will see you um, in a week on the Jerry and Jerry show where three games will have transpired. So we'll have a ton of content to cover. For Hootie and Judah, I'm Jerry. Thank you kindly for joining us. So long, everybody. Hootie, that was awesome. Show us easy, easy. It's fun. It's always fun.